0: Um, wow, thank you so much. Um, thank you for inviting me to share. And uh, I I feel really humbled. I feel really humbled to be sharing with um, so many recovering alcoholics. Um, I love this fellowship. I feel really emotional. Hold on. Um, I love this fellowship so much you know I owe my life to the fellowship um I'm 11 years sober this year one day at a time and um that's thanks to you guys you know that's thanks to everyone that turns up and does service and keeps this fellowship going and a loving higher power that has entered my life through working the 12 steps of AA and um my gratitude is so um There's no words that can describe how grateful I am to be alive, to be sat here with you all, celebrating um, life on life's terms. I feel really emotional, sorry. Um, Okay. Um, At the beginning, I was born in London. I'm from South London. I come from a, a line of Irish immigrants and there was a lot of trauma and a lot of abandonment on both sides of my family. Um, My mum and dad were kids when I was born and I was born into poverty. I was actually born homeless um, because my mum and dad were 14, 15. They couldn't look after me and they were squatting in Lambeth in South London. And um, being born into poverty meant that I was also born into a lot of trauma. There was a lot of there was a lot of kind of neglect because they wasn't able to look after me. And there was psychological abuse, emotional abuse, physical abuse and sexual abuse and uh, finally I was adopted at the age of two and then I was adopted to a lovely working class family also in South London and they didn't drink um, but, but my, the first two years of my life was in a very chaotic toxic environment and it caused a lot of uh, psychological damage to such a young baby's brain and when I was growing up as a child I thought the, re- the reason I was an alcoholic or the reason I drank the way I drank was because of my childhood. But I later realised that alcoholism, is, 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 it doesn't discriminate. You know, you can have any background, rich, poor, black, white, any, any different type of background. It doesn't matter. It wasn't my mental health and trauma that made me an alcoholic. I just am an alcoholic and I drank because I was in pain. And the alcohol was a, it was a kind of short term relief, you know, the alcohol anesthetized my pain and I used alcohol as a solution until I realized that it it wasn't a solution. It was the problem. It was exasperating my mental health. If you put alcohol on top of my anger and my rage, I was just completely psychotic. You know, I was the type of drunk that was a blackout drinker and I started really young and I found out I was adopted at nine And I started drinking and taking drugs by the age of 10, 11. By the time I got to secondary school, 12, 13, I was a daily drinker. I was taking alcohol into school and I was sitting in the back of the class and drinking really cheap, nasty Thunderbird and all sorts of like really cheap booze that I could steal. You know, go in the shop. Me me and my mates put our money together and buy 10 B&H and then steal alcohol from the shops and take it into school so I would sit in the back of the classroom and I would drink and I would have psychosis and I would throw chairs at teachers I would just kick off I was really really dangerous it is not safe for me to drink and I I qualified my seat in AA from 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 a teenager and uh, you know I I didn't realize that I was an alcoholic. Um, My parents, bless them, my adopted mum and dad, they couldn't cope with my drinking and my behaviour and my drug using. You know, I was selling drugs at school as well. Drugs is also a part of my story. But I'm aware this is AA, so I'm just going to stick to talking about alcohol. But um, my mum and dad couldn't cope dealing with this kind of teenaged alcoholic that was having psychosis. And mental health wasn't really talked about in the nineties. You know, I grew up in the 1990s in London. My, that was my teenage years. And when I first started drinking, I thought it was fun, but it wasn't fun because I would just come, I was in blackout, didn't know what I was doing. And I started to come round in police cells and mum and dad didn't really want me there anymore. And I wasn't their child and they didn't treat me the same as they treated their own children. So off the back of not feeling loved, full of self pity, blaming everyone for, for my situation, not realizing that I was I was the one pouring the alcohol in my in me. I was the one abandoning myself every time I put a drink in me. I, I couldn't see it because I was so I was so deluded and young and, and, and in just in chaos. My head was chaos. So anyway, mum and dad didn't really want me there. I didn't really want to be there. So I ran away from home and I become a teenage runaway at the age of 15, 16 in London. And um, I found myself at Waterloo in the ball ring, uh, begging outside Harrods, begging at London Bridge Station as a 15 year old kid, you know, and um, I I was I was so vulnerable, but I didn't feel vulnerable because I thought I was fearless. You know, I was like a kind of street warrior. I shaved all my hair off. I fucking I didn't give a shit. I would fight anyone and anything. The two things I was really good at was fighting and drinking. And I knew that I could, even though I was young, I think I got away with a lot because I was a a girl as well, in a way. Um, But I seeked out chaos and misfits and people that didn't fit into society. And what I did was I found a group of punks, a group of trustees, travellers, squatters, political activists, and I lived outside of mainstream society. And I lived a kind of alternative lifestyle, living in squatted cinemas and warehouses and taking over land, wasteland. And I would start my day with a can of special brew and a line of whatever I could get my hands on, normally cheap Ketamine or whatever, but special brew. Special brew was a big drink that 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 kind of numbed my pain and made me feel warm if I was on the streets begging for hours, you know. And the the Harry Krishnas fed me and kept me alive on the streets. And the Jesus Army popped along and tried to help me. And and the Salvation Army helped me. I used to go to Salvation Army on a Wednesday and have a shower and get food. And so there was sort of like um multi-faiths, people that were trying to do good for, for people that were uh vulnerable, I, I guess, and people that were trying to do good for people. So I've got a lot of gratitude for for the people that helped me when I was on the streets, but you couldn't tell me anything. I was very arrogant, I was I was very egotistical. I thought my way, I thought I knew better than everyone else and I, I didn't have a clue. I didn't have a clue how to do life, I really didn't. And this went on for a long time. And uh, I ended up living in a forest and living in a tree house. It was a bit like Lord of the Rings, you know, we were we were fighting for the environment. And and, and I moved into a forest and lived in an ancient beechwood with an Iron Age hill fort and blue bluebell forest with ancient trees that we were protecting from being destroyed. And it was an amazing experience. At that age, I was about 18, 19. And, but again, we were called the brew crew, you know, because every day we'd wake up and we'd drink fucking brew as much as we could get down as, and we would fight the system, fight the system, fight the system. That's all I knew how to do. That's all I knew how to do was fight, drink, fight, drink. And that was my life for a long time. But I couldn't, I couldn't see that I was destroying myself in the process. And what happened was, um, What happened was I, I ran away to Glasgow, I was always doing geographicals, I was always trying to run away from situations, because I would have psychosis and people would get scared and I and then they wouldn't want me around. And even when I was with the misfits and the punks and the the protesters and that I still didn't fit in. So I went off to Glasgow, I met someone, I met a Scottish guy. And we went up to Glasgow to pick magic mushrooms in Loch Lomond and I didn't come back down for eight years and I spent eight years in Glasgow surrounded by alcoholics and violence and they, that, was, that was my life but I, I always had in my heart a space for other people because I always cared about people but I never knew how to care about myself you know and I would hide behind looking after others so I didn't have to look at myself and then I, a string of relationships was always with men that drank the same way I did. So I was always in alcoholic, toxic relationships and they were always violent. And I was in so much agony with the, with the drinking and the mental health and the psychosis and the rage um, that, that, that I didn't have any reprieve. And I, and I was introduced to AA in Glasgow, but I just wasn't ready. I wasn't ready. I think I was about 25 then. And then I moved, I, met, I split up with a Scottish guy, met another guy from Brighton who was up in Scotland and he was doing some filming and I was doing video activism as well because I kept, I kept a foot in activism, but I was very much in alcoholism. <laughs> and I'm getting a bit lost in my journey here. I was in Glasgow, I got introduced to AA. I didn't want to know because I didn't think I needed it. I met a dry drunk. He was four years sober, but he didn't have a program. But I was attracted to the fact that he didn't drink because I knew that, that my drinking always got me in trouble. I had to come round in police cells. I'd come around in hospitals. I was damaged. I'm covered in scars from, from, from drinking and fighting and whatnot. And my body was covered in scars and I had four different... A4 sheets of offences of fighting the police, drunk and disorderly, trespass, breach of the peace. I had so many criminal offences, that it was getting to the point where I couldn't do care work because they didn't trust me to be a carer because my alcoholism caused me so much of uh, violence on my my, um, criminal record. Then um, I moved to Brighton with this other guy And I said to him, you know, I really want to try and stop drinking, but I can't. I've tried to do it on my own and I tried to swap my drinks around. I'd only drink organic or I wouldn't drink spirits or, I'd, you know, like it says in the big book, I tried every which way other than abstinence because I thought I could do it my way and I could not do it my way. But I tried I tried many times to do it my way and it never, ever, ever worked. And then I finally... Went to my first meeting in Brighton in 19... No, sorry, 2007. It was in the Phoenix and I heard a guy called Paddy and he was a street drunk. And I heard him talk about his sister stabbing herself in a psychosis, like getting the knife and just puncturing herself on her chest. And I thought, fuck, that's the sort of thing I could do in a blackout because it was homicide or suicide. I was either gonna kill someone else or I was gonna kill myself in this illness. This illness, wanted me dead, this is a fatal disease and I have no um, delusion that that this is a killer illness. And um, when I heard that chair talk about his sister killing, trying to kill herself in a psychosis, I identified and I thought this this place is it's, it's telling my story. These people are experiencing the same as what I've experienced. But previous to coming to AA, I thought I was the only one. I didn't think anyone else understood. And there wasn't anywhere else that you could go and, and, and speak your truth. And actually, people would understand. You know, I'd had all sorts of different therapy. But the therapist would just sit there and not give me any any feedback. And I was like... I've just felt like I was talking to a whirlwind therapy but when I come to AA I heard people I heard people's experience their lived experience of recovery and how they'd got well and how they had a new life and um I started to the first time in my life coming to AA I started to listen I started to listen and but what I didn't do Was I didn't follow the suggestions and get a sponsor and get on with the steps. I just come to meetings and thought yeah I'm starting to get it but I didn't put the action in because what I realize now is coming to meetings is fantastic but it's not enough. It's a program of action, you need a sponsor, you need to do the steps, you need to get a higher power in your life and I was struggling with that because when I walked into the meeting I saw God, 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 God. And I went, no, 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 no. And I couldn't get my head around the God word, you know. And then they were saying group of drunks, good orderly direction, it can be anything you want. And it's still, I still couldn't stomach what's been done in God's name in organized religion. I just couldn't, I just thought, no, I'll do it my way. And then I went back out. And I've what I tried to do was go straight to step 11. I got one way. I saved up a bit of money. I lived on a traveler's site. I lived in a gypsy caravan that no one else wanted. It was held together with gaffer tape. It had no windows. And that was my dwelling. And I worked for an, a care agency. And I saved up a couple of grand. And I got a one-way ticket to India. And I didn't come back for two years. Because I was searching for enlightenment. And I was basically went straight to step 11 without doing steps one to 10. So I I was going to these ashrams and these meditation centers, and I was kind of trying to get this meditation in place and have a spiritual experience. But I'm an alcoholic. I'm hopeless alcoholic. I need identification with another alcoholic in order to get well. I can't do it on my own. I just can't. And I tried and I failed. And I had to sort of come back from India after really horrible, dark relapses of severe consequences of being in blackout, of being raped and all horrible things happening to me over there. And I had to come back to the UK and, and just surrender, properly surrender. You know, like when is enough enough? How much chaos and how much pain and suffering do you have to have before you're willing to say, I'm not fucking doing this shit anymore? I need help and I'm going to do whatever it takes to get the help and follow the suggestions and it was 5 years of relapsing wouldn't recommend that don't do that if you're new just get a sponsor and do the steps and start the work because that's where the magic happens that was my experience so 2012, I came back to brighton uh, I tried to get in the recovery project but they had a 3 month waiting list and I was on the council to get, because I couldn't afford to privately rent and money was a problem. And I put my name on the waiting list for the council. And uh, eventually the kind of stars aligned, you know, I bumped into an old friend who'd just finished doing the 12 steps and he was kind of lit up. He had this kind of ready brick glow around him and he looked amazing. He looked so well and healthy and happy. And I was like, What's happened to you? You look so different. And he was like, I've just finished the 12 steps, Joe. Do you want me to to bring the book, show you the big book and show you how it actually works? And I I said, yeah, because the council had given me a new flat. I got a job in a doctor's surgery as a healthcare assistant and I got my first ever sponsor. So for the first time in my life at the age of 34, I got a flat, I got a job that was stable and I got a sponsor and I got a higher power. And I started to actually do the work. And from that day onwards, my life changed miraculously. From putting the pen to the paper and writing down, step one, how am I powerless? How am I unmanageable? What's actually happened here in my life? That's when when I started to heal. That's when I started to see it in black and white. And that's when the higher power really flooded the light and the the, the bright spot of my life is the higher power. And the higher power was working through me, letting me let go, letting me let go through writing this stuff down and letting me let go by sharing it with another alcoholic and letting me know who I am. For the first time in my life, the 12 steps allowed me to know who I am and what I've been through and to be able to forgive forgive myself for the chaos I caused, forgive other people for the harm they'd caused me. The 12 steps helped me to heal so profoundly that my life started to drastically change. And there was like a 360 degree turn happening where I started to fall out. I started to, the, the, the anger started to shift. The pain started to leave and I started to feel better. And uh, the interesting thing is, is that, My birth mum, who I never knew who I was taken away from at the age of two, she died at the age of 34 and her body was found on a park bench in Clapham Common and she'd overdosed on drink and drugs. There was rumors that somebody had spiked her drink and murdered her. And I got sober at the age of 34, the exact same age that my mum died of this illness or, you know, she was a street drunk. And I talk about street drunks a lot because I was a street drunk. And and the first chair I heard was a street drunk. And my mum was a street drunk who didn't didn't get the programme. And she's dead, so I'm so grateful to be alive because I know that if I didn't find you, if I didn't find this programme, I wouldn't be sitting here now. And it's interesting that I've actually got a fellow here with me this evening who was on the streets last night. And the, the, the power, that my higher power spoke, spoke to me when I saw my, this fellow's message on social media that he was struggling in the park five minutes from where I live with a tent in the freezing cold and the rain because he'd relapsed and been thrown out of a recovery project. He was going to end up possibly freezing to death on the streets. And I just knew in my heart there is absolutely no way that I would let a fellow, a friend, someone I've met a few times who I trust, you know, to to come into my home and not rob it blind. But even if they did, I wouldn't care because I know in my heart I've done the right thing of going out there and helping you. And now I'm not saying that for for ego or praise i'm saying that because that is the power of this program that is the power of how we help one another stay alive in these rooms my sponsor has helped to save my life all the fellows every single person that does service you're helping to save people's lives and you know there has been a miraculous change in my life through this program and It's a program of action, but it's gratitude in action, because service, service is gratitude in action. When I turn up and carry a message, just like I am here tonight, carrying this message, being of service, that's me showing gratitude for for, for you guys keeping me alive, because hopefully what I'm sharing will help keep someone else alive. And I find that amazing. You know, I think this is incredible, how God works through us. And you know, Today, with, with, with the fellow, we, we read the doctor's opinion. And it was so lovely to hear him read out the doctor's opinion. And I know it's men for men and women for women. But when somebody's potentially going to die on the streets, I just had to do what the right thing to do was. So listening to him read out the doctor's opinion today was so humbling to be reminded that the, 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 this illness is so clever how Bill and Bob, how the founders, how the founders of this fellowship, one alcoholic helping another, and how many millions of us are recovered or are recovering millions and millions across the whole world, thanks to those two founders, Bill and Bob, it blows my mind. So when I was sitting with the fellow today, reading the the doctor's opinion, It took me back to the 1930s of of the founders from nearly a hundred years ago and how many lives have been touched by this amazing fellowship. It's incredible. Um, So yeah, understanding this illness that's centered in the mind, the obsession and how the obsession comes from the phenomena of craving and the physical component, the physical. Once we pick up that first drink, we cannot stop. We are not normal drinkers. You know, one drink, one drink or drug does the damage because it kicks off that phenomenon of craving and then all bets are off, you know. And being able to to wake up this morning and do prayers and meditation with the fellow and get our asses out to a meeting and hearing him share in the meeting and seeing him get stable, it's just so beautiful. It's just so, so, so beautiful to see how people change and bloom and grow and get get new lives because my life today is unrecognizable I've got a safe home I've got a I've got my I've I made amends you know I worked this program and um I made an amends at my at my mum's grave because I had a lot of resentment and anger for her abandoning me but how could I look how much pain she was in how could I have a resentment against my mother for not loving me if you can't love someone if you don't know how to love yourself? And I never knew how to love myself. And this fellowship helped me to learn to love myself. And in the love that I have is a compassionate love. It's not an egotistical love. It's, a, it's an unconditional, compassionate kindness. You know, that kindness. We took the language of the heart in this fellowship. We took the language of the heart. And it is so healing and so beautiful. There's, no, there's not really any words that, 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 that can portray how how beautiful this stuff is, you know? Um, so I'm just trying to think, I don't know how much, how long I've been talking, um, but, but yeah, so I, I, went through, I went through the steps and I got to know myself in step four. Step five completely healed me and liberated me from a lot of the stuff. Oh, that's it, my amends. I'm sorry, I'm a bit all over the place. <laughs> so when I wake up in the morning, It's just one day at a time. I do steps one, two, and three as I awaken. And I start my day with prayer and meditation. To the best of my ability, I do this stuff. During my step four, I wrote down every resentment I had and I turned all that resentment into forgiveness. And then I shared it with someone and I became liberated from it. Then I got to know myself. I got to own my shit. I got to accept that I'm angry, that I've got flaws and defects, but they don't define me. They're just part of human. what the 12 steps done was it allowed me to take those toxic negative emotions and turn the dial down. turn the dial down. I humbly, humbly ask God on my with my forehead to the ground, I ask God to remove my shortcomings. I ask God to guide me. I ask God to live in my life to live in my heart and and through my actions and I and I feel loving compassion and kindness in my eyes. I train my senses to be compassionate. So I look at people with compassion. I listen to people with compassion. I try my hardest to speak with compassion. I'm like the polar opposite of what I was like when I was drinking. When I was drinking, I was the polar opposite. I was full of darkness, full of hatred. Now I'm recovered. I'm full of love and I'm full of light and helping others is the spotlight you know that the spotlight the bright spotlight of my life comes from chapter seven working with others because service has been the backbone of my sobriety and without service we'd have no fellowship and without service i'd have no sobriety so every bit of service to come out of self dissolve my ego be of service and think of others constant thought of others and that's how i've got you know through being in recovery for ten years, this past ten years has been the best ten years of my life, and it and I am genuinely happy, joyous, and free today. One day at a time. I've got a job I absolutely love. I work for the NHS, and I work, funnily enough, as a as a healthcare professional with mental health, and I talk about recovery day in day out. I've got hundred patients on my caseload, and I talk to them about compassion and kindness and meditation and mindfulness and if they've got addiction issues I signpost them to CODA to SLA, to AA to ACA to to whatever there's multi-fellowships there's multi 12-step programs and I talk about the 12-step programs in my profession because today I'm of service and I'm doing God's work in my job and it's very very humbling and um I'm just trying to think where I'm going from here. My life has changed. That's the thing I was going to say. You know those 4A4 sheets of criminal records that I mentioned I had? They've all cleared. Because I'm 10 years sober, I've got no offences on my records. So thanks to being sober and being in recovery, all those offences that I had when I was drinking were wiped clean. And that's how I was able to get my job, because of being clean and sober. So I'm not exaggerating when i say i owe my life to aa i owe my life to you lot and to my higher power because i've got a beautiful life i wake up and i I wake up and i smile and i wake up and i know that i've got a loving higher power who's got my back is with me 24 7. you know humans are fallible i love my sponsor i've got my sponsor in this arm and and i've got my sponsee in this hand and together we're strong and we hold each other up but what's really holding us up is the higher power and that unity and that strength is unbreakable but not with the love and the spiritual spiritual strength of the higher power that binds us we are wholesome we are united we are one humanity and i feel part of a family of humanity you guys are my family the fellowship is my family humanity is my family and God is our father and Mother Earth is our goddess. The Mother Earth is the goddess and God is our father and we're children of the universe. And I, I stand in the sunlight of the spirit and I am, I'm just so grateful to be alive. And I don't think I've got anything else to say because I think I've just about covered it all. And I've told you my story and my story of experience, strength and hope. There is hope in these rooms and there is life and love in these rooms. So if you're new, don't get out, don't don't leave, just stay. Just stay until the miracle happens, stay in the lifeboat. We are on a journey, God's got a plan. I don't know what it is, but we are blessed. Every single one of us is blessed. Thank you for letting me share.